there. Notice those three questions. We're going to read them together. Uh, I'll read the questions and let's all together say the answers. Here's a little bit of what we believe as Christians tonight using the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, Q&A number nine. Should be, it says number eight, but it should be number nine. Uh, but doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? No. God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, at the instigation of the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. And then Q&A number 10, says number 9, but it should be number 10. Uh, Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with the sin we are born with, as well as our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment, both now and in eternity, having declared, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. And then finally, Q&A number 11, But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, but he is also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. You may be seated. Well, life often seems uh, unfair and unjust, doesn't it? Life can seem unfair and unjust. Uh, One of Clint Eastwood's uh, great westerns, not uh, not a spaghetti westerns, the the old ones, uh, fistful of dollars and so forth, but uh, his, his more uh, recent ones, uh, among them are uh, Unforgiven. You may have seen that movie, Unforgiven. Uh, the main actor, the main, char- the main character, the protagonist, uh, his name is William Money, with a U, Money. William Money is played by Clint Eastwood. Uh, and uh, there's a scene where, uh, at the end, he, he goes into a bar uh, with all guns blazing, as only Clint Eastwood could do. And uh, he's standing over the antagonist, uh, the other main character. His name's Little Bill. He's played by a great actor, Gene Hackman. And so Eastwood has just shot him, and he's standing over uh, the bleeding body of, uh, of Gene Hackman. Uh, Eastwood over, over Hackman. Uh, now, William Money has just killed about uh, half a dozen men. He's injured uh, Little Bill, he shot him, and he's laying there on the floor. And as Gene Hackman's character, Little Bill, is looking up and down the barrel of William Money's shotgun, he says this, his last words in the movie, I don't deserve this, I was building a house. I don't deserve this. I was building a house. Now, going through the mind of uh, William Money, Clint Eastwood, are ten years of mourning his, his wife's unexpected and her undeserved death. And he's come to town to kill two cowboys because they cut up and disfigured a prostitute's face unjustly. And then he's seen his best friend, his only friend really in this world, Ned, played by uh, 
Morgan Freeman. His wife, uh, uh, Ned, is dead. And Ned is propped up in his coffin uh, right next to the jail. And so everything about William Money's life screams uh, sorrow and pain and injustice. And so they're looking down the barrel, looking up the barrel uh, of his shotgun. Again, Gene Hackman says, I don't deserve this. I was building a house. And then Clint Eastwood, as only a Clint Eastwood character can say, says, deserves got nothing to do with it. And bang! Bang! Life's unfair. Uh, life is unjust. That's the, that's the moral of that Clint Eastwood story. Life's unfair. Life is unjust. What about with God, though? So we know that life's unjust and life oftentimes is unfair, and movies portray that in very graphic ways. But what about God? Is God unfair? Is God unjust? Is he this way, too? Is, 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 is he like this, uh, this character of uh, Clint Eastwood and deserves got nothing to do with it? I can take you out. I made you. I can take you out whenever I want. Is he just? Is he fair? That's what Q&A 9, 10, 11 are all about. The justice of God. The justice of God. And these questions come up because we've seen that God has made us in his image. He's made us good, made us righteous. He's made us holy. He's made us to know him. He's made us to love him and to live with him forever. But we're sinners. We've fallen in our first parents, Adam and Eve. And the, the law that God gave Adam to, uh, to obey in the garden, it's a law that we can't keep. So is God unjust in calling us to do and to believe uh, and to obey the same thing? So is God unjust? That's what Q&A number nine uh, brings to us right up front this evening. But doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? We, you and I, we, we've seen already that we can't keep God's laws perfectly. Uh, we, we can't love him perfectly from our hearts as we are created and called to do. That was uh, Q&A number four. Uh, instead, by nature, we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. God didn't make us that way. He's made us in his image to live with him. Uh, our first parents are the ones who are responsible for sinning. Uh, and then that Q&A number eight that we left off last Sunday night, uh, is, it says, are, are we so corrupt that we are totally unable? So not just Adam and Eve, but are we so corrupt that we are unable to do any good and inclined towards all evil? And the answer, of course, was yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. But God still commands us. God still calls us to love him from our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So isn't it unjust of God to require in us? We didn't sin. It was Adam and Eve who sinned. God didn't make us this way, and, and, and our parents sinned, but isn't it unjust for us also to be required to love God perfectly and to love our neighbor perfectly as ourselves if we can't? God knows we can't. So isn't it unjust? You can see something of the question there, and the answer, as we read there, says nine, says no. God's made us with the ability to obey the law. 
Yet, because of the devil's instigation and willful disobedience, man, humanity, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. In other words, the morality of uh, unforgiven, the morality that you and I experience so often every single day that uh, Clint Eastwood portrays in that movie, uh, that's not true of God. It's not the same morality, the same ethics that God has. What God created Adam and Eve uh, to be as image bearers, uh, that was enough for them to obey God in his law. When he gave them that law saying, uh, he said that of every single tree of the garden you may surely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's just one command. It's one command, one test. And they had the ability, Adam especially as, the, as a representative head, just like Jesus, had the ability to keep that very law. To not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was able. He was created good. Now, just as a little just interesting tidbit to say something here. I always say something interesting that you probably don't know about, but uh, when, when the Catechism talks about that in Adam, we had the ability. We were made with the ability to keep the law. Being image bearers was sufficient for Adam to obey the law. Uh, that's, that's said in contrast to medieval Roman Catholicism. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that God made Adam in his image, just like we affirm, because the Bible says, but he needed something else. He needed something more. He needed an added gift to enable him towards true spiritual obedience. And that was called a donum superadditum in Latin, which means a superadded gift, an extra something, a little oomph, a little push, a little extra nudge towards righteousness. Thomas Aquinas, for example, talks about this in uh, his Summa Theologica. He talks about how uh, man was able, with all the natural things that he was created in, in God's image, he was able to do all kinds of good things, But to do that spiritual good, that supernatural good, he needed something else. In other words, God didn't make him sufficient for the task. Our catechism says differently. It says, no, he was made in the image of God, uh, upright, good, holy, and able to obey God's commandments. Obey uh, with the ability, the answer says, to keep the law. Now, the source of sin isn't in God. Or in how he created us, right? It's not that he made us this way. And it's not that he made us less than what we needed. That's what the Roman Catholic Church says. No, he made us sufficient. And it was by our own willful disobedience that we've sinned. Satan tempted, but in Adam sinned. Uh, And as Romans 5 says, all of the human race, you and I, fell. And so as the father of the human race, he deprived not just himself, but all of his descendants, all of his descendants, you and me, of the gifts of righteousness and holiness and knowledge, the things that enable us as human beings to obey the law. So is God unjust? No, God is a just God. Uh, God made Adam and Eve as they were, as it was necessary to love him. But because of Adam, our dad, because of his mistakes, we might say, in human terms, we as his children, as sons and daughters, we suffer the consequences. Dad makes a bad mistake, we all suffer, right? Dad gets in a car accident, we all suffer. Uh, dad goes to Vegas and blows all the money, we're all going to suffer, right? That's how life works. 
And even more so with Adam as a representative of all the human race, just like Jesus represents all his people. So we have sinned, right? We have sinned. It's not God's fault, it's our fault, in other words. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is, in that sense, we might say, fair. So is he unjust? No. Is he just? Absolutely. That's Q&A number 10. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? And it says, certainly not. He's terribly angry with the sin that we are born with, as well as our actual sins. God will punish them in just judgment, both now and in eternity, having declared, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. That's how just God is. That's how just he is. He's perfectly just. Can God overlook sin? Is God like dad who's tired and lazing out on the couch and he sees son, he sees daughter, he sees sons or daughter, daughters, uh, doing something, saying something, getting into trouble like they shouldn't and just doesn't want to get up and deal with it? None of us know that experience, right? <laughs> None of us know that. Is that how, does God, you know, yeah, I'm just, and I know I gotta punish, I know I gotta discipline, I know I gotta correct, I know I gotta get up, and I know I gotta do my job, and I know, you know, and I know that if I don't, it's only gonna snowball and lead to more. But just this one time, you know, just let me veg out, just let me chill, just let me, you know, do my, do my thing. Does, does, does God do that? Is he like that? No, not at all. He's God. He, I mean, God's perfect, right? He's, he is our Heavenly Father, and you know, we as earthly fathers are supposed to represent that and reflect that in a human way, but we know that we miserably fail. God is the most perfect ideal of, of all that that means. He can't overlook sin. He can't overlook the sins against him. He can't overlook the sins that we commit against other people. He can't just let it go. He can't let it go unpunished. And so I want us to turn quickly to Nahum, the prophet Nahum, uh, chapter number one, just for a, a brief few minutes. The whole book says this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, though, in chapter number one. Uh, Nah, uh, we all know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was called by God to go where? Nineveh. Is Nineveh a Jewish uh, nation or a Gentile nation? Gentiles, right? And so God says, go to Nineveh and preach and, and call them repentance, and they repent. Now, Nahum is one generation after Jonah goes there and they will repent. So a generation later, things aren't going so well, right? They've reverted back to their, their old ways, okay? So that's what's going on here in Nahum. You see that in verse number one. It's an oracle concerning Nineveh. So God goes back to Nineveh. Notice what the Lord says here and just be impressed by and let these words strike you, the, 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 the full, perfect justice, righteousness, you know, upholding of the law, keeping the standard, not, you know, not just sweeping some sins under the rug, not letting things just go. Notice how perfect God is. Verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging God and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Notice, he doesn't bend. 
The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. That's how just he is. He won't clear the guilty. His ways in the whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Why? Because God, as such a God of justice, it's depicted as God being a pure, burning, brilliant fire, and all things are consumed by him. That's why verse 6 asks, Who can stand before his indignation who can endure the heat of his anger his wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him then he says the lord is good stronghold in the day of trouble he knows those who take refuge in him but with an overflowing flood he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. That's pretty just, isn't it? It's pretty just. One of the other prophets, Habakkuk, said that the Lord's eyes are so pure that he can't even look upon sin. He can't see evil. He cannot look at wrong. That's why, again, Nahum says, who can stand before his indignation?" Who can endure the heat of his anger? That's how just God is. Right? Completely different than even the, even the most just and upright judge on the face of this earth. God is so much more just and perfect and righteous and upright and fair and perfect. That's why the Catechism says that he will punish by a just judgment both now and in eternity. And then it quotes that, 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 that passage from the book of Deuteronomy that there's a curse upon everyone who doesn't do everything that God commands in his law. That's how, that's how just God is. So is he just? Yes. Yes. Now there's lots of talk today, of course, um, in, our, in our society, in our culture. A lot of it is a lot of it's uh, misguided, a lot of it is good, so we've got we to filter through a lot of this stuff, but there's a lot of talk about social justice today. Uh, this idea of justice, you know, what really is justice? And, uh, uh, and there's lots of discussions by unbelievers, by believers, about what is justice and how it applies to society, so uh, that moniker, that, that idea of social justice. Whether right or wrong, all people's desires, we might say, all people's desires for justice in societies, even the best attempts and even the worst attempts, they're all just flawed human attempts that are very faintly reflecting the justice that God is. I mean, we have in our soul, upon our soul, upon our conscience, upon you know, our heart, all that we are as human beings made in God's image, even as unbelieving image bearers of God, we have that stamp of the image of God still upon us. We have as you know, ancient theologians, 
Duncan was giving me a hard time for name dropping, so I guess I'll name drop. Uh, Justin Martyr talks about uh, a seed of religion in the heart of every human being. Uh, John Calvin talks about the spark of divinity in every person's conscience. And so every human being, even the worst human being, still has the image of God upon their soul, uh, even in a faint way. And so even the best attempts or the worst attempts at social justice and ideas of it and trying to infiltrate or trying to stamp society with that, uh, they are in a weird, flawed, sinful way. They are trying to mimic the justice that they know that God is. For others, even trying that, sometimes people, though, can, can use uh, the call for social justice uh, and attempts at being socially just. Some people, though, can use that to cover up their sins. We don't want to think about God. We don't want to imagine a God like what Nahum describes. Who can stand before his indignation? I mean, who want, we, we, we want to sweep that away. Our conscience knows the difference between right and wrong. We know that uh, as individuals, we know that as uh, you know, a nation, we know that as you know, human beings, there are lots of things that we've done wrong and even societally we've done wrong. But people come up with ideas that try to sweep this idea of God under the rug. They want to do right, but they don't want to reckon with who God is and really answer the real question, well, what really is justice and what is the standard of justice? Where does justice come from? It comes from God comes from God, the perfectly just God. God makes no mistakes. He weighs justice equally. There's no fake little magnet underneath one of the scales that weighs one of them down in contrast the other way. Uh, God doesn't hide things. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't fake things. No, God is a God of justice, and he weighs equally on the scale all people and all attempts at being just. And so even as we think about justice, we've got to reckon with the fact that you know, we're talking about God here. Lots of good stuff about justice and how it should impact us and how we, how we should be a just people and so forth, but we've got to talk about God first before we can talk about social justice and our own human attempts at justice. So how just is God? How just is he? We hear things like, well, you know, my God's a God of love. My God's a God of love. You know, God loved the world, and God has a wonderful plan for everybody's life, doesn't he? Don't we hear those kinds of, kinds of statements today? Of course he's merciful. That's what the answer says there, Q&A number nine. But, you know, but isn't God also merciful? Yeah, certainly he's merciful. And we'll get there, but he's also just. We've we got to reckon those two things. Especially in, in our modern American context, we, we take God and his attributes and sort of like a teeter-totter, uh, we, we overweight the love of God versus the justice of God. And like a teeter-totter, it just completely is unbalanced. The, 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 the love of God just weighs everything down and his justice is sort of an afterthought. We've got to keep all his attributes equal because they're all who he is. God is love. God is just. And so it's a, it's a false doctrine, it's a false idea of God to, to, to make God's mercy or God's love greater than, more important than his justice. Back in the days of the California gold rush, Miner would find some gold and find some nuggets and he'd bring it to a buyer, but unbeknownst to him, uh, 
the buyers would have scales that uh, one one little bull they didn't know this but the bull was heavier you know than than the other bull and so things were skewed things were unjust in weights and measures and so in the same way a lot of us we, we tip the scales towards love because we don't want to think about the justice of God he's merciful and just that's what the Lord told Moses when he was hiding him in a cleft of a rock the Lord is merciful and just. That's what God says about himself. That's how God self-identifies. Merciful and just. In the same sentence. And because he is just, his justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with a supreme penalty. Eternal punishment of body and soul. There's a just proportion between Sin and punishment based on the one being offended who is an infinite God. And our catechism here is uh, using an ancient uh, uh, idea that comes from another theologian, Anselm, uh, who talks about the fact that we have uh, offended God and we've got to make a satisfaction to that offense. When we sin against an infinitely just God, the only way to satisfy an infinite justice is what? Is by doing what? making an infinite payment, satisfying an infinite penalty. And so as the prophet describes here, uh, the Lord is one who pursues his enemies into darkness. And as we reflect upon justice tonight, and about how relentless the justice of God is in pursuing sin. it helps us as believers begin to see just how relentless his mercy towards us in Christ is, seeking to save that which is lost. And I'll close with just one more passage. Let's look quickly at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Notice how the justice and the mercy of God come together uh, and are, 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 we want to say, you know, in a, in a human illustration, they're balanced out on those scales there of who God is, where the apostle says in Romans chapter 3, uh, 21 and, uh, and following, speaking about the righteousness of God, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of that, verse 23, uh, and are justified by his grace as a gift. How? How can God justify sinners who have fallen short of his glory? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 24, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be, to be received by faith. Remember, if we sin against an infinitely just God, we've got to make an infinite payment or receive an infinite punishment. So how does God take care of that conundrum for us? He puts Christ forward as a propitiation. That's in a, an Old Testament term for the satisfying of justice. Look at, what, look at what else he says there. Verse 25, quickly, just the last little line. This was to show, so the, the, the giving of Jesus, this was to show God's righteousness. The death of Christ is an act of God's love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's also an act of God's justice, his righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness 
because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just because he takes care of sin, takes it seriously, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As you think about this question of God's justice, is he unjust? No. Is he just? Yes. How just is he? Perfectly. Infinitely. In the same way, how merciful is he? How kind is he? How gracious is he? How loving is he? Perfectly so. Infinitely so. How? In the cross. In Jesus Christ. And so as we meditate upon the justice of God, it leads us to think about the mercy of God. Because in the cross, both are true. Both are manifested. Both are expressed. God's justice is absolutely taken care of on the cross in Jesus. And so I am a recipient then of the infinite mercy of God because my sins have already been paid for. That infinite payment that I owe to God has already been paid. Amen? It's been paid in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.